Hey, caffeinators. Welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Hello, caffeinators. Hello, uh, everybody. Let's see, Dave, it is, uh, let's see, September 1st. Yes. Uh, gosh, September 1st. My goodness. <laughs> How's it going out there? It's you go- guys it, look like oh. missed uh, Hurricane Ida. Yeah, we missed most of it. Uh, it was windy this morning. I got a little bit of rain earlier today. Uh, I went out and did my first run for the Not One More Vet uh, race yeah. around the world. It was probably the coolest run I've done in months, uh, which is great. Good. <laughs> Uh, did a little Facebook Live for that, so that was that was kind of fun. It's, it's cooling off here, but I, I imagine it's going to be hotter later in the week. Uh, how's it going yeah, out there? Yeah, you're, you're dealing it's with some a, fires out there, huh? Yeah, yeah. We had a uh, had a fire close by over the weekend. Thankfully, as I've said a couple times, this is still a little early for our fire season. And and why that is is we get a lot of moisture that comes in off the ocean, and it's just damps out fires pretty easily. But once we get into fall, that changes, and and we get much higher fire danger. So it, it didn't last very long. It was pretty close, thankfully, but the wind was going the other way, so it, it didn't really affect us. So that yeah. was good. That's good. Um, yeah. So you mentioned in there the uh, the Not One More Vet race around the world. We yeah. did that last year. That was, you know, obviously a really great cause to be a part of. Um, we got a couple new team members this year. Yeah, we really did. Stoked that, that, about that's that. good to hear. Um, we'll talk more about that kind of as the as the month goes on. But you did your first run today. I'm gonna I have a migraine this morning, but I'm gonna try to get a ride in tonight after work. Yeah, um, do a little bit of a live as well and well, get by, started by the on time that. This, by the time this episode uploads, it's gonna be yeah almost over. Well, it, well into it. Yeah, <laughs> well yeah. into it. So yeah. This, yeah. So uh, if you guys are are part of our team, thank you very much for uh, for joining on with us this year. Hope your rides or runs are going well. And you're logging good miles. It's all for a good cause. So um, thank you very much for for all your support with that. And and again, we'll be we'll be talking a lot more about that as the month goes on as well. Yeah. So thank you very much for everybody for for that. I think we got a really great episode coming today. I do I'm, too. Yeah, I'm, this is going to be good. I, I'm, yeah, I'm really excited about this. So we have Alexandra uh, Yaksish coming by the Vet Tech Cafe today, and she's a an animal health technician, AHT, up in uh, Montreal. And she wears many hats, and, and this is kind of what we're going to talk about today, a lot of different things. But she's a writer of all things veterinary and helps clinics build their practices. And, and one of the things that she's kind of uh, working on quite a bit right now is legislation for banning or outlawing declawing uh, up in Quebec. And we'll talk a little bit about that as well. But we're kind of generally going to just talk about riding as a veterinary technician because we've we've come across a few people, Dave, that have, have done that. And I, I'm so fascinated by that because I think a lot of people have some really great ideas and, and, and how they kind of got into that. So we'll talk a lot about that. If if you follow or if you're on Instagram, follow her at alexandra.yaksish and uh, she's on LinkedIn as well. Um, a lot of really great content there, a lot of really great articles that she's written. And she has one coming out 
in, I believe it's veterinary practice news coming out later this month. He's um, nodding. We'll must to be, her that about must be the, right. <laughs> <laughs> that must be it. We'll talk to her about that as well. So, Alex, uh, thank you so much for coming by the Vet Tech Cafe today and taking some time out to talk to us. Um, what can we get you for a cup of coffee? I know it's early afternoon there. Don't know if it's coffee time for you, but what can we get you? It is always coffee time for me. <laughs> I was just going to say it's always coffee time. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> Actually, right before this, I went out to get myself uh, my new thing is this oat shake and espresso from starbucks oh. it's basically coffee and sugar um so that'll get me through the afternoon <laughs> <laughs> love it that's love great it. that's great we can uh we can we can we can try to put something together like that yeah. for you <laughs> so if you don't mind you know take us through your career path a little bit what got you into veterinary medicine um you know some stops along the way you know kind of where you're at now or what you're doing now and, and how you got into that and then we will jump off from there with with some of our questions yeah so um i've always been around animals uh, i'm originally from toronto but my family some of them are out west like it in and around Alberta and BC. So uh, lots of farms, lots of critters. And I actually came to Montreal initially to study neuroscience. Mm. I, I have a strong interest in psychology um, as well as the sciences. So I was going to try to merge those two things. And it wasn't until I started working in the labs that I realized, you know, how much how much I disagreed with the way that we're treating animals, particularly in that setting. And mm. I realized I was going more to the ethics board and writing to the ethics board than doing any of the actual research. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, during my undergrad, I was always working in clinics. So once I finished, I just decided to stay in clinics and to make it a mission to help animals and do what I can to make a difference that way. And so I've been working in clinics for well over 10 years now, <laughs> um, full time. And uh, in Quebec, we have a, a grandfather clause. So for me, I didn't end up going to school to be a vet tech. And this is a topic that I like, we'll probably talk about later. I had a lot of trouble getting equivalencies and stuff like that. Um, but in Quebec, we had a grandfather clause. So if you were practicing for a certain amount of time before a certain date, you would be grandfathered in with the technician. And yeah, and as I, as my experience grew in clinic, I realized just how many problems there were in clinics and in our veterinary culture in general. Then one of the clinics I was at was bought by uh, VCA and uh, just seeing the the changes that they brought in really motivated me to just start talking to other people and get the word out and seeing how other people are feeling about this and what's happening. So that motivated me to start writing and getting to know more people and talking to more people in the field. So that's that's essentially how it how it went from <laughs> working in clinic to writing. Yeah, yeah. So cool. just taking a, a step back to look at the veterinary technician profession as a whole, where do you see it, it is right now? Do you see there's problems? Do you see there's things that we need to fix? Or are there things that are great that you love that we want to keep doing? Uh, what, what's your take on all that? I love the specialty programs that they have mm -hmm. now. And I, I, I was at um, the VT conference la oh, in 2019, the one in Vegas. And okay. it was really nice talking to American technicians and seeing the difference between like Americans and Canadians and uh, the differences in their programs. But I find in the States, it seems like there's more opportunity for technicians, um, especially in terms of doing specialty programs and being able to actually uh, practice nursing care and medicine in clinic. 
um, as well as industry-wide. There just seems to be more reach. Mm. So I, I love that. Here, I find, you know, it's like that, like we always say, it's a five-year career. It's really hard to make a living as a technician. And that's just a yeah. huge problem. And for me, that was one of the reasons why I didn't end up going into the technician program here. Um, I was like, well, if I take time off work to do a program that's not going to really benefit my life in terms of finances, why would I put such a big investment on that education? Um, mm, right. And I, yeah. I don't like saying that. It's, uh, it's not a great thing, but it, it is a realistic problem uh, yeah, for a lot of people. Yeah, it's reality. Yeah. And I think I get the sense that when you're really in it, I mean, there's, at the clinic level, there's so much, there can be so much internal conflict in the clinic alone that people I find can get stuck there. And um, it's hard. It's really hard for people, I guess, to reach out to the industry, to get involved in the industry. Um, there's so many good things about it. And there's so many opportunities for people that I, I just feel like there's a lot of untapped potential. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you on that. Um, you mentioned in there uh, about the um, the grandfathering and, and what have you in terms of licensure and, and that. And where I'm at in California, uh, we had that for a period of time as well, where if you had a certain number of hours um, or in, in clinics or, you know, number of years or what have you, you could, you know, basically just take the exam and, and, and grandfather in. So with your credential, there is AHT. Did I get that right? Animal health technician? Yeah. Okay. And so in Quebec or, or Canada uh, on a larger scale, what, how, or how does that, I should say, compare to an RVT or, or are there different delineations there? Are they essentially equivalent or what does all that look like? It's, it depends on the province. Um, okay. And their, their general rules. I know, I think BC as well, maybe you know better than I do, but uh, BC is similar in Quebec, to Quebec in that way, um, where there's a grandfather clause. And now with the shortage, a lot of people are looking the other way a little bit, or there's a little bit more relaxation in the rules. Um, I'm sorry if you could hear that. My cats are playing right now. <laughs> They're getting really loud. <laughs> I don't know if it might pick that up. But <laughs> no, we didn't, we didn't hear it, but it, it wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> yep. <Okay. laughs> um, so, yeah, and I, I know Ontario, um, so their designation is RVT, so Registered Veterinary Technician. Um, and they're a little bit more serious about licensure and examinations and okay. keeping up with your license. So, yeah, it, it really seems to depend on the province. Um, I know when I was at the VT conference, I was talking to the NAVTA there and they were trying to work with the Canadian Technician Association to try to try and make this a little bit more uniform and equalize everything. Yeah, that's just an ongoing process. Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) You also mentioned in there at at that conference, you noticed the differences between American technicians and Canadian technicians. Can you expand a little bit more on that? It just seems like there is more specialization programs there. Um, that's like the main thing that I noticed. And it was really nice to see more technicians giving talks at those conferences. Mm. Um, that's something that I haven't really seen here as much. Yeah. I would say the overall involvement and weight of Mm. technicians seems to be Mm. a little bit more impactful there. Good. I I didn't realize that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Very cool. Maybe it's Quebec though. Uh, Maybe it's a a province thing. 
I'm not sure. Could could very well be. Yeah, could, yeah, be, yeah. could very well be. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And I, and I think actually that that probably applies here to the states as well, like the national conferences. You see all that, but I'm sure there are states here that technicians are utilized far less or are involved yeah. far less and, and what have you too. So that, that that probably translates a little bit. So you're you said you're you're still working clinics full time. So currently I guess what is your career look like now? So working full time in clinics and then and then kind of writing on the side or you know, do you ever find yourself overwhelmed with all of this? extra stuff you're doing? How, how do you balance all that? And what do things look like currently? Oh, boy. Well, um, I'm actually not. <laughs> uh, this is going to be a long one. No, I'm actually not in clinics full time anymore. Um, okay. I started to locum, I think in the States, it's called relief work. Um, they yeah. use, both terms are used. Yeah, lo- yeah both, both terms. terms yeah. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I started uh, doing that about two years ago. So right now I have a rotation of two to three clinics that I'll go to regularly. So now, probably on average, I'm in clinic one to two days a week. Um, okay. And yet, so I do content writing for a lot of businesses in the industry, um, as mm. well as um, my own pursuits, just seeing where it takes me. But yeah, definitely busy. I often work six-day weeks. <laughs> Been like that for the past couple of years. Yeah, balance, balance is a, a challenge. For sure. Yeah, we're, we're both kind of doing that. And Jeff introduced yeah. me to this. Uh, we like to call it a non-vet day where we don't do anything veterinary related at all. And Jeff, I don't know about you. You you seem to have a much easier time making yourself do that. And with me, it's like, all right, I got to sit down. And I got to plan. And I got to have stuff to do because otherwise I'm going <laughs> to find myself doing something veterinary related where I, I know I shouldn't be. So, um, yeah. you know, the six-day work week is, is something that, that he and I are are also doing and I would love to yeah. get it down to like a, a four or five day work week, but <laughs> yeah, right. Wasn't that the whole point of you I doing? I think that was the Dave, whole Dave point. Does, Dave does relief or locum work as well, and <laughs> that was the whole point there. I thought, yeah, it, it was, but yeah, eh, whatever. It's a nice idea, <laughs> yeah. and then practically, it just never seems to work out. <laughs> no, but, yeah, well, because right. you have you have those things. You're like, oh, I'm just gonna do this one little thing and do this one little project for the for the podcast and do this one little thing that I have to do for a lecture that I get right. to give. And yeah. then suddenly you're yeah. working seven days in yeah. a row and you're it's, like, oh. it's that idea of, you know, <laughs> just being so connected that, you know, you can send a text or a fire off an email so easily. It's, it's, it's hard to, to disconnect. And uh, Dave, to get back to your question or, or your point there, I think for me, it's thankfully my, my wife, who's an emergency veterinarian, she's, when she's off from work, like her phone is not near her. She's, she's not connected to social media or any of that stuff. So if we have a day off together, it's very easy to like, just not have my phone near me and, and completely disconnect. And I, I thank her for all that because otherwise Dave, I'd be like you, or I'd be firing <laughs> off emails or, you know, one, one little thing, you know, it just takes five minutes, but you know, then that's, that's, that's the whole day. So I, I, I completely understand where you're coming from, Alex, about just, it's always something and, you know, how, how to, how to balance or manage that is, it's just not easy. <laughs> I think it's yeah. an issue with people who go into these caretaking professions as well. Um, yeah, I think we're, we're built agreed. for that. We want to help and we want yeah. to be productive mm-hmm. and uh, we want to do our best all the time. Yeah. So it's, I all find in general, it's really hard for us to just put the phone down. Yeah. 
You don't have to write that <laughs> yeah, email. It's, you know, it's, it's going to take you a minute. <laughs> it's hard to say no or, or, yeah, that sounds actually like a really cool project. Like, I'd love to be a part of that. When do I really have time for that? Yeah, it's, I, I completely agree. So kind of getting into your writing a little bit, you, you kind of mentioned there in, in your career path, you know, kind of kind of how that started. I would just like to know, like, what was your, your first topic you wrote about and how has that kind of evolved as you've, you know, been working on that now the last little while? So the first topic for me was probably finances in the vet industry. When VCA purchased the clinic, I was doing their inventory management and we were managing, I mean, we were a huge place and we had, you know, over a million dollars worth of stock and um, so it really gave me the opportunity to learn about the the real cost of healthcare, and just trying to balance that and trying to communicate that to clients who often complain about prices in the vet industry. Um, and I find, I think my biggest thing was just to have honest dialogue about this and really talk to people like they're people. Um, Cause I find what happens is a client will start complaining about prices and then we as the vet staff will get defensive because, you know, we're working six day weeks and we're doing everything we can and it creates this tension. So I wanted to kind of untangle that as best as I can and really try to, you know, explain to clients like the, the real cost, like we, you know, most clinics, we're not making money off food. <laughs> we're not selling you food and then actually telling them like, this is our markup. But even if we're making a very minor profit on it, it's still costing the clinic money to unpack the order yeah. and have everybody put it away. And um, just trying to dispel these myths that we're in it for the money. <laughs> Clearly we are not. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. We our, yeah. our last guest we talked to to Ninka, and I guess I can mention this because the episode will already be up yeah. by now. Yeah. Um, but but she always said, and something very similar that I used to say is, you know, I think it was 2010. Somebody told me that we we were only in it for the money because that's the you know the common thing. And I'm like, I'm driving a '98 Honda Civic. <laughs> I'm clearly not in this for the money, or I'm I'm hoarding it in some other ways. Uh, it, it's just yeah. It's just baffling that they think that we're yeah. know, riding off in jet airplanes. <laughs> Right. Yeah, <laughs> from, from the markup on on dog food, I, I just don't understand. Yeah, from the kickbacks, yeah, from the kickbacks on on it's, pet food, it's just baffling. Yeah. So, in in terms of like how you got started, like where did you first start to publish stuff? Did you go to publications? Do you just start your own blog? How do, how does somebody get into a writing career? That's that's something that kind of fascinates me, and and something that maybe I think that I should do. You know, on top of all the 8 million other things that I have <laughs> <Right>. to do. <laughs> Maybe don't again. make it too, don't make it too inviting for me, but, but if somebody were wanting to do that, how would they go yeah. about doing that? <laughs> yeah. So this was, uh, this was the hardest part is just getting that momentum and getting there and finding people who are interested in what you have to say and interested in, um, you know, helping you out in that way. But I actually saw an ad on Instagram for uh, the new version of veterinary practice news, which is mm. basically all for their vet students and technician students. And they were just looking for people to write for them uh, to really get this publication going. Um, and I saw that and then just jumped on the opportunity and messaged them. And the, the editor of it's called the veterinary practice news uh, next gen as for next mm. generation. Um, the editor there is absolutely amazing. She created this huge publication from literally nothing, from just going on Instagram and trying to connect with people. So seeing what she's accomplished is incredibly inspiring. And I think just can, honestly connecting with people like that who are motivated and inspired to, to do things, find those people. Um, they're the, going to be the ones that help you 
but yeah, essentially it was just writing for my own sake and then looking around, um, finding things on Instagram, or I would just email editors everywhere I could find (laughs) and hope for the best. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. Yeah, it takes persistence. I bet. I bet. You know, it, uh, you, you said in there too, you know, kind of in your, in your explanation, how this started of, of just trying to meet people where they're at and, and dispel some of these myths. Um, so, you know, as, as caffeinators know, I work for the, the animal poison control center, uh, here and I took a call just yesterday, actually. And the, you know, before the, the lady even got to what it was that her pet ingested, you know, she said, I have a question for you. How come there's a $75 fee? When, when I call human poison control, it's free. And I just had to explain to her that we're not government funded, that, you know, we don't, we're not subsidized by the government. That's, you know, so you're paying to keep all of our staff here. And, and that's, and all, all she needed was just an explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, just, it, but not getting defensive and not, you know, not dismissing her question or, or, or what have you. And, and then she was completely on board the rest of the call. She, but she just, she didn't know. Mm-hmm. And, that's you know, good. it's, it's a, it's a it's a really interesting conversation in a lot of ways that, as you said, we we get defensive about or, or we don't really approach the conversation in the right way. And I think a lot of times, if we did and just educate them where all that stuff comes from, we could probably have a lot better result. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree one hundred percent. And I think it's it's hard once you get into that that defensive mode um, to mm-hmm. not want to take responsibility. But I I'm trying to say the opposite i think we should take on that responsibility in, of education and i know we already have a, a ton on our plate but i think once we do that it's only going to lead to positive things and i find people just like you said they're very receptive to hearing it because once you acknowledge their question they they feel like they're being heard and i think that's yeah. all they want really yeah. and i try to put myself yeah. in their shoes too i'm like gosh like i i would question a 250 dollar bill when you know, my mm-hmm. cat was only in the clinic for 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I completely understand yeah, where absolutely. they're coming from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, as you've written now for a while, I'm, I'm curious if there's any sort of topic you've written about where maybe you went in to writing on that subject with either a, a specific point of view or a specific outlook on that topic. And as you kind of researched it or looked into it, your viewpoint changed and, and maybe the, the content of your article changed a little bit. Has that ever happened where, where you've changed your perception or your outlook on a, on a given topic you've written about based on, on actually writing about it? Yeah. And it, it's not so much that my, or my, yeah, I guess my opinion changed. It was just, it made me realize the intensity of the problems that we're dealing with was uh-huh. when I started writing about compassion fatigue and mm. really understanding what that meant. And, um, how you can see it playing out in the field. Um, you know, when you're in clinic and you're used to your coworkers, you're kind of used to the status quo. So you miss those little signs that somebody might not be doing so well or they're going through something and it's really easy to dismiss those. Um, but when you look into the research and, you know, look for the red flags, um, you it kind of draws your attention towards it more. And um, I knew that there were, there were problems, of course, and I think it's almost like colloquial knowledge now that, you know, veterinarians and veterinary technicians have uh, higher suicide rates, uh, higher rates of depression, higher anxiety rates, but how that's linked to compassion fatigue and how dissatisfied we are as a whole with our job. Maybe it's not because it's the job itself, but the, the lack of reward, uh, the complications in clinic, 
um, the more I dug into it, the more I was, I was like, okay, we, we really need to do something to, to fix this. We, we are not doing well right now. Right. This is just something that I'm thinking of as we're kind of going through this. Your experience as a relief technician or a locum technician, do you find that you can notice that more in people that you don't really know? versus people that you work with all the time? Because in my mind, you know, some of the people that I've worked with long term, I may not notice subtle changes over time, but I can think of times where I've gone into a clinic with people that I don't really know and say, wow, this person is really stressed and this person is really in a, in a bad spot. Do you find that to be true when, when you're doing relief sh- shifts? I agree. I find it the same thing. You can pick mm. up on it easier almost when you don't know them that well. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And how, how, uh, for both of you, how, how would, how, how do you, do you approach that at all? Do you, do you talk to that person? Do you talk to Like if you recognize that, how do you, what, what do you do about that? I'll let you go first. (laughs) (laughs) You're the guest. Or or do you do anything? Like I I understand, you know, that, 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 that's sometimes a, a difficult subject to broach. Like how, how do you handle that? It's interesting. Um, so I'll add this as well. I actually started taking assertiveness training with a therapist um, to help with things like compassion fatigue, because sometimes when we see, you know, an animal or somebody else, you know, going through a hard time, we want to help and we want to fix this as much as possible. I always had the problem of getting way too involved. <laughs> that was my old way of handling it when I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to bring this person coffee today and I'm going to do little things to cheer them up. <laughs> and then you realize hey, you're giving so much of yourself and it's, yeah. Sometimes it just doesn't work. So now um, what I try to do is just be open as possible with people while keeping somewhat of a distance. But I think talking about it or even just saying like, hey, do you want to go for a walk at break? Um, and, you know, maybe not inviting them to talk about something specific, but if it comes up, they know you're there or just establishing better relationships with coworkers or even people that you meet through locum. Um, I think that's a really good way because once they you get to know somebody, they're more likely to open up. Um, I take a very gentle approach for the most part. <laughs> yeah. And, and for, for me, I, you know, being the introvert, it's really hard for me to reach out to somebody and say, Hey, how are you doing? You know, I work, I worked a shift yesterday with somebody that was new and I could just see the stress and, and frustration in her. And I, you know, at, at one point, you know, we, we were trying to bring up some CE topics for them. And, you know, I, I kind of just talked to her about it. I said, what do you feel like you need here? And, for you know, for looking at CE stuff, do you want to talk about CPR? Do you want to talk about IV catheter training? Do you want to do fluid therapy? Do you want to do this, that, and the other? And just kind of let her talk and say, "This is what I need," and this is this is what it's been like the first. I think she'd only been there for five or six five or six weeks, maybe. But just kind of giving them the chance to open up and and talk and let them. I, I think people sometimes find it easier to spill their guts to somebody that they don't know and potentially aren't ever going to see again uh, yes. versus somebody yeah. that they're going to have to work next to uh, tomorrow. So, yeah. you know, it, I, I find that sometimes they are more more willing to open up to people that, that they don't know that well. Sometimes they're just looking for somebody to, to say, hey, I need to talk about this and I just need a gentle nudge in the right direction. Yeah. That's kind of my take on it. Yeah. It doesn't always work, but sometimes it does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So why don't we take a little break? We're about halfway through. Let's take a a short little break here to pay some bills and we'll be right back. The Vet Tech Cafe is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line and it's not self-help. 
It's professional therapy done securely online that's more affordable than traditional in-person therapy and financial aid is available. Caffeinators receive 10% off the first month using betterhelp.com slash vettechcafe. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, to join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Don't take our word for it. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily at betterhelp.com slash reviews. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash reviews. If you want to take charge of your mental health, visit betterhelp.com slash vettechcafe and get started today and get 10% off your first month. Be well, caffeinators. And we're back. Um, so, Alex, um, with your writing, now that you've been doing this for a while, is there, you know, we were talking about compassion fatigue before we went to break there. Is that one of your more favorite topics to, to write about? Or do you have a, a spe- specific thing that you enjoy writing about the most or at least learning about for a specific article? What do you what do you like to to put out, put to, to put pen to paper most about? Pen to paper. Well- <laughs> yeah. what, what year is or, this? Or, 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 uh, or I guess, I guess, keystrokes to screen. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's sad. I actually still take notes uh, with pen and paper. I can't. I, for some reason, I well, can't good. get rid of that habit. <laughs> uh, so, what do you like to write about most? So, what do I like to write about the most? A lot of the issues that we see in vet clinics. Um, what I would love to do, and what I'm working on, is getting the information about everything that's happening in our industry to the general public. Mm. There's so many sources for us now with podcasts and apps. And it, it's like, we all have this internalization of what's happening, but it, I find it's difficult for people to act and for people to make those changes. So I, part of it is getting the information out to the public. So maybe they can understand us better. And the other thing that I would say that really excites me is just being able to help people in the field, whether that's, you know, talking to clinic owners about, okay, what's the best way we can manage compassion fatigue in our clinic, for example, or how can we act to actually make these changes in our clinic? Because we all know and we're all talking about it, but what are the things that we can do? Those are the things that uh, that really light, light me up. Great. And um, so getting that message out to the public, you mentioned earlier, you know, writing for, for veterinary publications and what have you. How do you get that get that thought process or, or, or get those publications, not just to veterinary publications where realistically the public at large isn't going to see them, but actually get them to the public where clients or pet owners are going to see them. How, how does that, how does that come to be? So I started using my Instagram for that initially um, mm. when the pandemic first hit and <clears throat> everybody was doing curbside appointments. The main complaint I would hear from the, owners, uh, not so much complaint, but concern, I guess, uh, was that, you know, oh, my baby's going inside without me. Are they going to be treated well? And there was so much anxiety over the fact that they weren't there. Totally understandable. Um, so I started taking photos for clients or like little videos when their animal was in clinic. And then when we'd bring out the animal, I would show them like, oh, this is what we did today. And their faces would just light up. Like it would make such a difference for them. And it really I think made them feel like, okay, we're, we're really taking care of you here. This is where, you know, it's not a money-making scheme. We're not treating the animals badly. <laughs> this is like, you know, 
And uh, people really appreciated that. So I started posting on my Instagram and just explaining stories to people or the cases that we often see. Again, a big thing was finances. So, you know, I would show a case where, you know, a cat had a respiratory illness and there was heart condition. And then I'd take a photo of the x-ray and then, you know, what are the next steps? Okay, well, we'll need to do an ultrasound to get more information. This is how much the ultrasound is going to cost. This is why pet insurance is important. Uh, sort of taking them on the journey that we go in and, and kind of exposing that to everybody. And I find once they see all the steps we're taking and all of the work that's involved in what we do, it changes their perspective. And for the most part, I've gotten tons of positive feedback for people or people who just think like, oh, my God, I had no idea ultrasounds could be over $700. I'm going to start my savings account now, try to make a, something impactful that will, that will help, help them help us. <laughs> mm. Gotcha. Did, did you find that, like, do you have to get permission from owners to post that kind of stuff? Yeah. Like to your Instagram? Yeah. And do you have that like done ahead of time or? So usually I'll just ask them on the spot. Although one oh, of the okay. clinics I work with um, is really great um, and we're going to try to work together to see if we can come up with uh, just a form that they can sign or something like that, or mm -hmm. just, just to kind of make it flow easier. It, mm -hmm. If somebody really wants to say no, you know, they can say no, but yeah, um, yeah. it's kind of time consuming to say like, Hey, we're doing this educational promotion. <laughs> Would you mind? Right. Yeah. Well, especially if you're working at a, at a ER practice, <laughs> if they yeah. come in bleeding out, you're like, so let's right. talk about social media for a little bit here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that probably isn't, probably isn't yeah. the best time to have that discussion. <laughs> right, um, right. So uh, you, you've been writing recently a lot about the legislation to ban declawing in Quebec. Yeah. Uh, do you want to bring us up to up to speed as to where we are yeah, with that? Yeah, let's 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 dive into that. Bring talk talk to us about that. Oh boy! So <laughs> <laughs> this this is one of those moments where I was like, okay, what are we actually going to do about it? Everybody's talking about it. I don't know a single person who likes it. Yet it continues to happen. So I was getting very frustrated. And um, I started working on this back in January and February when I initially contacted uh, the Order of Veterinary Medicine in Quebec. Provincially, it, it varies per province who actually has the legislative power where, you know, where those bodies of, of legislation lie. This took me a long time to figure out. So I contacted the Order of Veterinary Medicine of Quebec. It took a long time to get a detailed response from them in terms of you know, why are we still doing this? Um, what steps are you taking to ensure that this doesn't happen? Uh, what are the actual laws now? And they basically told me this is a, they, they'd rather focus on education and informing owners and informing veterinarians of the downside of decline rather than lobbying for a ban. So they said, okay, try the uh, MAPAC, which is basically the, it's like fish and wildlife. Out okay. west, I think that's what they're called, but it's it's that equivalent, and they're the real legislative body. So I went to talk to them, and they said, you know, we can't really do anything about it. There's loopholes in all of the laws. Um, the reason decline is still allowed is because it um, is done under anesthetic, and they have pain medication on board after. So technically, the animal isn't suffering. Um, that's why it can still happen. So my <laughs> My argument there was, well, they do suffer, and we have the evidence now that suggests they endure, you know, long-term pain from this. Never mind, right now in Quebec, the law changed 
only three years ago, but animals are considered sentient beings, which means they're also entitled to execute their behavior uh, like in their own right. And when mm-hmm. you declaw a cat, they obviously can't do that. So the response that I got from the MAPAC was, well, if, if we really want to change anything, you really have to go through the government and change the law. So I was like, okay. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> How much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. So I, um, I was lucky enough that one of my friends was a journalist and I wrote an op-ed for a newspaper and um, it, they published it, no problem. Uh, thank God the editor there is a very big animal person, uh, animal lover. So she, you know, she was like, you know, anything related to this issue, I'm happy to publish this for you. So I wrote an article just explaining the process that I went through with these legislative, well, with the MAPAC, who's the legislative body, and then the Order of Veterinary Medicine, who's regulating these laws. And it seemed to me, it was frustrating because everybody who has the the potential or the possibility to make changes or to do anything or to even lobby against this isn't doing that. It's really frustrating just as a citizen to see that happen. So Mm. I wrote an article just explaining what was happening and what my next steps were. And people responded very well to that. Um, This was very exciting, not only in the animal world, but the public loved it. They were so happy to see this. And the two major feedback that I got from that was, Either one, people had no idea that this was still happening or that they had no idea what decline was and how bad it actually was and how much it affected the animal. They, they didn't realize it was an amputation. They thought it was just you take off the nail and that's it. It's not a big deal. So after that came out, it got because it got so much public attention, when I reached out to my MNA, the equivalent in Canada is MPP, the member of provincial parliament. Uh, So I reached out to her and her team was so happy to work with me on this. Um, It's taken a while with people being on vacation and things happening. But yes, they were extremely happy and extremely excited to work on an animal case uh, because it had been a while. Luckily enough, the very minister that I contacted, she has a lot of experience with animal welfare. And she was Mm. on, I can't remember what it was called, sorry, but she was, she ended up getting the puppy mills banned in Quebec. Uh, this was like 10 years ago. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's really great that she has all this experience. So basically what's happening now is they're helping me write a petition that I will present to the government to just change the law, to rewrite, either to include um, specifically that, you know, we will not um, cosmetically declaw cats or... Uh, we will not uh, conduct any cosmetic procedures on animals. In terms of strategy, I'm not sure what the best bet is now. Sometimes it's better mm-hmm. to, to go for one thing. I'm hoping in this case we can just, you know, ear cropping, tail docking. I hope we can include those as well. So we'll see. Yeah. But yeah, so I wrote another article um, in CTV News about that just to publicize this and just to like get the momentum going. Just to say, like, guys, we could actually make a serious change here. Like, heads up, (laughs) watch out for the petition that's coming. (laughs) Um, That got a lot of traction, too. So now um, I'm working with the SPCA. There's a few veterinary organizations in Quebec who are on this. Um, I've been lobbying to any pet store that will listen to me. (laughs) And every time I've asked somebody if they want to get in on this, if they want to help, 100% of the people have said yes. So it's been this amazing public movement. It's really exciting. Um, Is there anything that we as the Vet Tech Cafe or our listeners, the caffeinators, can do to help out? Are are we able to sign that petition? 
Unfortunately, it's Quebec residents only. However, okay, okay. Um, I'm but we hoping... can share it. Yes, yeah. yes. And I'm also hoping this will inspire other people to, you know, get involved with the government and uh, talk, just reach out to people, see what happens, try your best to, to make a difference, because sometimes it actually works. <laughs> like, if I yeah. can do this, Abs- anybody can do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know they've got a band in New York and maybe New Jersey. If, I, yeah, if I'm not yes. mistaken, Jeff, does the does the ASPCA have anything to do with that? I know you're you're on the toxicology side of everything, but yeah, I I, I would imagine they if 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 that's the case, they were probably part of that. But I, I can't speak to that. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you received any negative feedback or pushback in any way from any? And you don't have to name any names if that's the case. But I'm just curious: has there been <laughs> any resistance to that? Um. No, the only resistance came initially from the Order of Veterinary Medicine when they they said that they they will not join me in banning this and you know the length of time the correspondence took. But aside from that, and I think it's just the nature of the government to be bureaucratic and things take a long time, mm-hmm. but aside from that, none. Like everybody has been so okay. supportive and so happy about this, and I think as a vet profession, like we need this, <laughs> we need this win. <laughs> well, and I, th- I think, like you said, the public probably just thinks that we are just taking the claw off, and that's it. And yeah. it's, and it's yeah. kind of nothing more than just a really short nail trim, whereas it's actually a amputation. Where I, I think right. the public doesn't understand that or hasn't understood right. that for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And yeah. I think getting the information to the public is really important on this because as mm-hmm. soon as they know, then they think, oh, my gosh, like, I can't believe we're doing this. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, because it's the public I, that wants the wants the declaws done. It's not the vet saying, hey, do you want us to declaw your cat? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And uh, so you mentioned in there, too, kind of as you were explaining that process provincially. Um, are there other provinces in Canada that have already adopted this or are looking to, because it sounds like this will be specifically for Quebec. So is there um, is there precedent already in other places or, or are they kind of maybe waiting to see how this goes for you and for Quebec and maybe then kind of ride that wave? Any idea what that looks like across the rest of Canada? So the only provinces that haven't banned it is Quebec and Ontario. Everywhere mm-hmm. else, there's been either a ban from the uh, veterinary organizations and associations or through um, the government. Okay. It depends on the province. I think in Alberta, if I'm not mistaken, the the order of veterinary medicine over there, I think has legislative power. So it was a lot easier for them to, to make the ban mm. happen. Uh, whereas in Quebec, for example, they don't have legislative authority. So we have no choice but to go through the government. Mm. Ontario, I'm not sure. That was my next thing that I'm going to be looking into. I'm really hoping Ontario is watching this and getting inspired from this because uh, if Quebec can do it, then Ontario can do it as well. (laughs) And one of the arguments I'm trying to make also is not only in terms of uh, animal welfare and, you know, the pain that the cats experience, but us as a society, like what does this say about us as humans if we continue to do these things and when we know better? Um, that's one angle mm. that I'm that I'm trying to take, and hopefully get more support that way. Gotcha. Has there been any discussion, or, or maybe you've already done this, of like reaching out to? I realize the provinces are are pretty big, but is there a way that you can like reach out to individual clinics to say, hey, do you support this? Do you support not offering this service to your to your clients? That would be a really great idea. I wouldn't know how to go about that. 
I think with this petition, I think it would be easy for clinics to host a petition in their clinic uh, and make mm, it public. Yeah. Um, I think it's a lot easier to ask that than to advertise that they don't do decline. I think mm. some clinics have a hard time with the pressure from clients, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's a good point, though. Yeah. I, yeah. I just, I'm just thinking of, you know, me doing relief. There's, there's a lot of general practices that I work in now that I don't think any of them do declaws anymore. Not, not because they're, they're banned, but just because it's, it's something that they don't offer. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to uh, one of my veterinary colleagues about this, and he was saying, you know, times are changing, and that pretty soon we won't have to ban it. It's just people will not want to do it right. anymore. They won't want it. Um, yeah. Which I think is very true, and we're getting there. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is that it still happens, and I know um, there. I know that there are breeders who advertise it on their Facebook page that they work with the clinic, and I've seen cat. Oh gosh, like cats come in and they're you know eight weeks old and they're already declawed, mm. and it's just Oof, like one yeah. one is more than enough. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, what are the next steps for this. So you, you said you're kind of thinking about you're or working on writing this petition, I guess really, you know, looking forward through the rest of 2021 into 2022, what would be the, the, the progression for this kind of movement? So at this point, once it's written, um, it'll be presented to the government. They take some time to approve it. Once it's approved, it goes public. And we have Legally, we have anywhere between three weeks to three months to get as many signatures as we can, but we'll probably have less time because uh, the timing of everything right now is really interesting. The MAPAC is currently revising their laws on animal welfare as we speak. So the legislation remains open, which means it's going to be easier to actually put pressure on them to make these particular changes. And they're probably going to be doing that till the end of the fall. So for the moment, what we're doing is really just lobbying everybody and just getting the message across to as many people as we can saying, like, look out for when this comes, because when it comes, we're going to have to act really quickly. <laughs> so that's going to be that's going to be the next step. After that, uh, it really depends. My um, my M&A said, you know, this could be something that changes very, very quickly or it could take months and months. Um, it's really hard to say right now. Exactly. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yes. Mm. Um, So as we're starting to wrap up here, is there anything we haven't asked you about or anything else you want to get out to our listeners, to our caffeinators out there, whether it's on the declawing subject, whether it's on writing, whether it's being a technician in Canada, anything at all? I would just say that, you know, I've met so many amazing technicians out there and they're just, they're so smart. And I feel like there's a lot of people who want to get more involved in the industry and don't really know where to go. And um, all I would say is just, if you can just reach out to people, connect with people on LinkedIn, go on Instagram. Uh, once you find your mentor, um, that, that will change everything for you. Um, and so for me, for example, it was uh, Celine from Youthabag, um, who I do a lot of writing for them as well. And this is mostly where the writing about compassion fatigue comes from. She is one of the most amazing people I've ever met in terms of how she runs her business, that she's so ethical um, she really took me under her wing and gave me the opportunity to start writing. That's how it started. And when you find somebody who's that inspiring and positive, it, it really can change the trajectory of your career. Mm. Um, but essentially, it will boil down to um, 
just you got to put yourself out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is there a person you would like to see us interview or a topic you would like to hear us discuss on a future episode of the Vet Tech Cafe? I would love if you guys could interview Celine. Okay. <laughs> she's she's okay. great. She's so cool. Um, yeah, you have to give, us, of, give uh, us her contact. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay, great. All right. Well, we're just about out of time, but we have one more final question. And I know you're a fan of the show, so you know it's coming. I tried to find some Canadian-themed would-you-rather questions, <laughs> and I think I found a couple. Uh, Jeff, which which one should I do here? One or two? Um, I th- you know what? You pick. You pick. I always pick. You pick I, today. I think I'm going to go with two. Okay, go for it. Uh, okay. Would you rather have 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife or always have a knife but never be able to use spoons? <laughs> I would rather have 10,000 spoons. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess you could cut with a spoon, but you can't eat soup you... with a knife. You just can't. <laughs> It's true. Good point. I mean, Good you point. could, but it would it would take you forever. It would it'd take a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know where I would put ten thousand spoons. Although with a teenager in the house, in a month or so, we'd be, we'd be down to five again. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, true. That's what happened to me. I went. I bought a, a cutlery set. You know, they come with like ten each. I have no idea what happened. All my forks were gone. I literally there was a week where I had a single fork in the house. <laughs> uh, that's great. Well, Alex, thank you so much for coming by the Vet Tech Cafe today and and talking to us about all this. We really appreciate the time, really enjoyed the discussion, and and hope you did as well. Um, Definitely, um, you know, get us Celine's contact information. We'd love to to reach out and, and, you know, see where that goes. And um, as as things move forward with with the petition and what have you, definitely keep us in the loop, and and we'd be happy to to share whatever we can or or help get the word out um, in any way we can. So, Um, kudos to what you're doing kudos to what you're doing up there that is super cool um and it it frankly it takes people like you to just keep moving the wheel forward and and make the change happen so so thank you very much for doing that and again thank you for your time today we really appreciate it um caffeinators we hope you guys are well this this episode will post here in a couple weeks dave after ivex is all done so yeah um Caffeinators, if you were at IVEX, it was great to see you. We hope you had a great conference. (laughs) And uh, we will talk to you guys again soon. Bye, guys. Hello, Caffeinators. We wanted to thank Dog Days Consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the Vet Tech Cafe. They don't just do social media. They can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. The founder is a CVPM with 15 years experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community, and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Hey, caffeinators. We would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website, www.vettechcafe.com. 
Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, have yourself a great day. Thank you.